0: Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, how good it is to, to sing to you tonight, to, to grow as we worship Father closer to you and, and to know Father that you draw near to us. We're thankful for, for every member of this church from the oldest to the youngest. We're thankful for every single soul And for the way, Father, that when we look deeply into each other's lives, we see the power of Your Spirit, the power of Your work uh, through Your Word transforming people's lives and and growing us up in faith and into the likeness of Your Son, Jesus. Oh, Father, we pray that every day we walk as Jesus walked. And tonight as we we study these words that, that John has read to us, we, we ask, Father, for eyes that see and ears that hear so that we may turn toward You, Father, and continue to be healed of, of, of our weaknesses and, and feebleness that comes as we, we strive to be sanctified and to be a holy people with a holy hope inside of our hearts. So bless us in, in this moment, Father. And again, thank You for this ancient text, which is Your Word. And we pray all of this with all of our heart in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage that uh, our brother John has read for us, written by our other brother John, is about being in the family of God. It is. At the beginning of chapter 3, and we talked about this quite a bit, John has this outburst of joy at the very thought that we have been made children of God. To be a Christian means that we've been taken in. It's a legal action, sort of like adoption, in the sense that there is a line that you cross where you go from not being a child of God to becoming a child of God. There are no 50%, 75% children. You're either a child or not. But at the same time, not, not only is it this standing, but it's also an action of grace. Children do not choose. We do not choose. Mothers and fathers adopt their children through an act of love, through an act of mercy, to bring these little babies and to bring these little small children into their world. And that's how it how we look at our salvation. That's how it works in our salvation. It's by mercy and not works. You pass from not being to being in the family of God. Now in this text John continues to lay out for us what this all means and sort of as a disclaimer at the beginning these points are very important but they're not very parallel to each other. So what I want to do is is right at the very beginning kind of give you an aerial view. I want to give you an above ground view of this passage before we begin to drill down into each of these points. The first point that John is going to make is that not everyone is in the family of God. In fact, he tells us, he tells us very plainly that there are two kinds of spiritual families uh, that a human being can be in in the entire universe. The second point is that when we become a a, a part of God's family, there is sort of this unique consciousness that we experience or enjoy in being in that family. And that thirdly, love. L-O-V-E, love is the main way that you know that you are a part of this family, that you are a child in the family of God. Now let's read again 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. It's up on the screen. By the way, very important that you bring your Bibles. Very important that you bring your Bibles, and that you bring a pencil, and that you mark, and that you study, and that these pages become dog-eared, because what we're talking about is is, is not just truth the way that uh, Pythagoras or uh, uh, an angle of truth the way that, that Plato or Socrates or Nietzsche might see it. But we are talking about in e- eternal truth. Truth that changes the world because it changes human beings. So in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, we read in our Bibles that this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of whom? The devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Now, quite frankly, uh, brothers and sisters, this verse is, is very threatening. But at the same time, it is a profound analysis of the human race. The first thing that John tells us is that every human being is in one of two spiritual families that every human being is in one of two spiritual families. Every person, every human being is in a spiritual condition. Now, what does that mean? Well, for a moment, let's step out of the text and let's just talk about the world that we live in. You know, as we live, as, as we go about doing our business, as, as, as those opportunities afford themselves for us to talk about our faith, or people observe us and, and sort of pick up on the fact that we are Christian we encounter people who do not understand how we can be a Christian. Not in in the sense of how you become one, being born again, baptized, confessing, repenting, spirit coming to live in you, sins forgiven, all of that. But they say, you know, you can believe that there is a God, you can take that, that kind of a leap of faith. But I can't. I wish I could, but I can't. I'm just not that kind of person. I wish I was, but I'm not. You're that kind of person, you can take the leap of faith. And they say something along those lines. Now what John is telling us in verse 10 of chapter 3 is that those kinds of statements or those kinds of sentiments are really a superficial analysis of the human race, spiritually speaking. And here's the reason why. Everyone takes the leap of faith one way or another. Everyone takes the leap of faith one way or another. Now what do I mean by that? Well, again, we're in our culture... And again, it's common to hear people say sort of alongside that conversation about the leap of faith, believing in God, it kind of goes into the area of morality. And it's common to hear people to say that, you know, everyone has the right or has it's their responsibility to make a decision about what morality is and what it looks like in their own mind. Religion shouldn't do that, but individuals should do that. Morality should be based on personal experience as long as it's not hurting anybody. Now, believe it or not, that statement is really based on religious premise. Now, hear me carefully. I did not say Christian religious premise. But that statement is really based on religious premise. At the very moment that a person says every individual has a right to determine their own morality, they are revealing the belief that there is no judgment day or there is no judge. And because there is no judge, there is no one who judges everyone based on an immutable or unchangeable standard of right and wrong. That is a belief. That is, there is no judge, no judgment date, no universal immutable standard of right or wrong in which everyone will be judged. That is a belief that cannot be proved. And that person is basing their entire life on something that they cannot prove their entire destiny is based on it and they can't prove it they only can choose to believe that there is no judge that there is no judgment day that there is no immutable universal standard of right and wrong on which everybody will be judged they only choose not to believe that as a leap of faith that is that as a belief is every bit a leap of faith as saying that there is a judge that there is a universal, eternal system of right and wrong. The point is that everybody makes this leap of faith. And only in this case, the assumption is that humans are competent to run their own life. And it kind of boils down to this, that God makes judgments about right or wrong, or the flip side of that coin, a human being makes judgments about right or wrong is all about. It boils down to it's God's will or my will. It boils down to it's only God who is competent to run my life or I'm competent to run my own life. And neither of these is scientific. It's false to say that only Christians are making a leap of faith. Everyone makes a leap of faith. The Christians are at least admitting that it's by faith. Now let me tie this back to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 10. The first created being to think in this kind of uh, 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 anti-God autonomous way was the devil. The devil was the first created being to say, I am competent to run my own life without God. He was The devil was the first created being to say to God, hands off of my life. Now when a human says, my will be done, that I'm going to do what I want to do because I want to do it and nobody can make me do what I don't want to do, When a human says that, he stands in the tradition of the very first being to set life up that way, which is Satan. So in essence, there are really two families. You are either of the family of God, because through faith you are saying there is a God. And through faith you believe that there is a judgment day. And because there is a God, you believe that there's a, a this immutable universal standard of right and wrong that applies to everyone, or you're a family of the devil, according to verse ten. You'll remember over in John chapter eight that Jesus got a lot of people upset with his teachings. Jesus said to the crowd that because they don't believe his truth, they don't believe his words, because they won't allow him to come into their life, then they really aren't free but are slaves to sin, that they are in reality in rebellion to God. They respond that they're not slaves to sin, but they're children to Abraham. How dare you say this to us? And Jesus says you're not children of Abraham because Abraham spiritually was sensitive to God, that that Abraham was sensitive, responsive in faith to God. Then Jesus says in verse 44 that their father is Satan. He says you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in Him. Now listen, friends, every, everyone leaps. And everyone has landed. You are either God's children in God's family, or you're the devil's children, or in the devil's family. And John says you can know this, verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Now here's the second point. If you're in the family of God, then number two, Christians are conscious of being in God's family. Sounds a little bit redundant. In fact, it's so simple it's it's nearly insulting to say it. But again, pretty basic stuff. But listen again to verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Now, again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I begin with this. There is a vast difference between morality and moralism. I don't even know if moralism is a word, but you know what I mean. It's, it's legalism based on morality. Now, all of the moral teaching that you find in the Bible, an interesting fact is true, all of the moral teaching, do not lie, uh, you're not supposed to commit adultery, uh, all of these kinds of things, all of the moral teaching, most of it at least, you find in the Bible in a pra- practical sense is going to be in most respects found in other religions. Uh, so, you know, If you want a resource on this, you can go to the back of C.S. Lewis's book, The Abolition of Man, and he has kind of a comparison of how uh, there is this this knowledge of right and wrong that's basically taught in most religions. The difference though is why you do or why you don't do certain things. Why you don't lie. And why you don't commit murder. And why you don't steal. Or why you know, you know might do other things. Very different in Christianity and every other religion except Christianity. You have to do these things in order to become the person you want to be. Which in the end is impossible because works do not work. But Christianity completely different christianity on the other hand gives you an identity out of which you live your life it's a new birth not a graduation it's being given a new life not a new leaf that's that sprouts somewhere you know on your on your body you begin as a babe in Christ. You begin as somebody who is forgiven and adopted as a child and you grow into the kind of person that John says is claiming to live in him also walks as he walked in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Now think back to our verse, uh, ch- chapter 3, verse 10. In this one verse alone, there are three references to being a child in the family of God. Christianity teaches that you have already attained the standing in Christ. Remember, there's that point in which uh, you're not a child of God and you cross that line and you become a child of God. Christianity teaches that you have already attained the standing in Christ and now what you are doing after you have been born again is to live out the implications of that identity. The motivation to live a godly life is because that's who you are. You are a child of God. You're His children. And we live out the rest of our lives walking with the Spirit. We live the rest of our lives walking as Jesus walked. In in 1 John 3, verse 2, John writes that we are destined for this glorious finish. When we are going to become like Christ, we will see Him as He is. And because of that, Because of that, that thing that we're looking forward to, then we purify ourselves as He is pure. Why would a child of God choose to live apart from their their destiny? Why? If that's who you are. I mean, this is so simple in in so many respects. Again, it's a simple point. I mean, when, when, when our children were growing up, we, Ellen and I, were very intentional in the way that we we raised our children. There were things that they did, and there were things that they did not do. Lying was one of the things that we taught our children never ever to do. And so there was, uh, and, and we and we and we taught them that you know the you know that there are certain ways that you resolve issues. And one time when Jordan was about five years old, uh, he resolved an issue with another kid down the street in a way that we had not taught. He resolved it with his fists, not very patiently. And and not you know trying to you know to work it out to a peaceful end, but decided he's just going to slug the kid. So when I found out what happened, I said, "You know how I feel about fighting. You know there are times when you're going to be pushed. But did you really try to resolve this? Whose fault was it? Did you try? You know, we talked through it, and as it turned out he just kind of got mad. He decided he had had enough. He was going to hit this kid." So I marched him down. I stood at the bottom of the driveway. He went up to the street, knocked on the door. The mom came to the door. He said, may I speak to Evan? Evan came to the door. He said, Evan, I'm sorry that we had a fight. I mean, we, we teach our children that because they're Abshers or because they're Taylors or because they're Browns or because they're Branches or Elams or, or Dowdies or, or whatever the last name might be, we teach them that because you have that last name, that because you are a part of this family, there is a way that you live. And the motivation, the same way in the kingdom of God, the motivation to live a godly life is because we realize that we are children and we bear the image of our Father. We live the rest of our lives walking as Jesus did. And so he says, you know, why would you choose to live apart from this destiny when you know that one day you're going to see him face to face and having that hope inside of you, why would you not purify yourself now having that kind of hope? That's one of the reasons why John will say in verse 5 and 6, but you know that He has appeared so that He might take away our sins. And in Him is no sin. No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen Him or known Him. You know why Christians do not keep on sinning? When a Christian realizes that he's fallen into sin, he's doing something, he goes, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm really messing up here. I'm not living according to my family. I'm not living in the likeness of, of, of my Lord. I'm not living in the likeness of my Father. He says, What in the world am I doing? This isn't who I am. The reason a Christian lives the way he lives is because of what God's love has made him to be. 1 John 3 1 says that it's God's love that has been lavished on us in order to make us children of God. That's why we love our brothers and sisters. In the next chapter, John writes, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love because He first loved us. You know why you're loving, loving the way that you are? Do you know why you love people that are different from you? You know why you love people that get under your skin, even in this church? There are people that get under each other's skin, and sometimes they say things that are not. You know why you forgive? You know why you love? It's because you were first loved that way by God. You live out your identity in a way that gives coherence to your life. In the business world, it's called integrity. It means you do what is right even when you don't feel like it because you know from the bottom of your heart that's who you really are. You know, you know we don't forgive because we think forgiveness is 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 an emotion. It's not. It's a decision. We've talked about this before. That's why you forgive. Love is a decision. I will love, Jesus, uh, uh, the Father says, I will love this world. And in making that decision to love, sent His Son in order to die for us. And so you love and you forgive. You know what God has done for you and you live accordingly. You know what God is intending. His, His raising you up from that new birth into the likeness of Jesus is intentional. It is conformity to the image of Christ. Romans chapter 8. That is the mainspring for your life. It's what powers you. And then number three, the central way that a person knows that they are in the family of God is love. Verse 11 through 16. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brother, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life. We know that we have passed from death to life. One more time. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. You know, there's so much to talk about, and, and I will. But I, I'll finish tonight by just focusing, and, and we'll leave the rest for later, I want you to s- circle, in in a way that you'll never forget this, uh, the words you heard from the beginning. I want I, I want to focus on that for just a minute. Y- you know, when 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 Christianity first burst on the ancient Greco-Roman scene, it wasn't taken very seriously. It wasn't. It was misunderstood in a lot of ways, which which was understandable. Uh, it was it was connected to things that it really wasn't connected with in, in some ways. And again, that's sort of understandable. But there came a point where Christianity uh, had to be taken seriously. And the reason that it had to be taken seriously was that there was something very serious going on. Do you know what that was? It was a redefining of love, and it was a redefining of family. What it meant to be in a family. At the time that, that John is writing this, the world is experiencing globalization for the very first time, and has not experienced until our own day. I mean, the uh, the, the, the diaspora had had placed synagogues all over the world, and Paul uh, was able to go to those synagogues, and, and out of those synagogues there were churches and other places that were in the cities that were you know where churches were planted. The the Roman world had given us uh, a Roman peace. That may travel easy. The Roman world had given us, you know, the the the, uh, the road system throughout the empire. That may travel easy. The Greek world had given us, you know, a common language. And all of a sudden, you know, there's this globalization that is going on, and people are pouring into the cities like they had never poured into cities before. And all of a sudden. Love is being redefined, and and family is being redefined by the church. I'll I'll just give you one quick example, Antioch. Antioch was incredibly diverse in its ethnic makeup. Not only did Antioch have, like all of these cities, have a wall around it, but in Jerusalem there was a sector for Essenes, there was a sector for uh, for Greeks, there was a sector for Jewish... Jewish people, there were walls inside of these cities, and Antioch was no exception to this. And the reason that there was a wall around the city was to protect it from enemies from without. The reason that there were walls within the city is that you had all of these cultures that needed to be protected from each other. And so there were walls within these cities that, that, that would, would, would quarter away and, and, and kind of sequester away certain groups of people with their customs and their language and their, their prejudices and their biases. And again, Antioch was no different. And in Antioch there was, that we know of, a Greek section, an African section, a Syrian section, and a Jewish section, all within this city. And and the walls that were within the city kept these groups from getting into scuffles with one another because they they didn't speak the same language and they misunderstood each other because they had different worldviews and they had different customs. But then in Acts chapter 11... There are Christians from Cyprus and Cyrene. R- read with me verses 20 and 21. Men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And word of all of this great stuff that's happening at the, in the church in Antioch up to the north makes it about 90 miles to the south. To Jerusalem and Jerusalem hears about it and so they send Barnabas up to, to, to find out you know what in the world is going on and Barnabas is astonished and Barnabas is encouraged why he's astonished and and he's encouraged and he's in wonderment because people were coming across these walls into the church And and they were not just coming to Christ, but they were worshiping together. They were coming across the walls into the family of God and they they were worshiping across the walls. These ethnic walls were coming down in Christ. And it just so happens that it's in Antioch that these disciples, these followers of Jesus, are first called what? Christians. The world had never seen anything like this and that's why they needed a new word to describe it. And so we jump over to Acts chapter 13 and you have kind of a leadership team that is, that is established and visible in, in Antioch. You have Barnabas who is a Cypriot. You have Simeon called uh, uh, Niger who is black. You have Lucius uh, the Cyrene who is from modern day Libya. You have Manaean who is of royalty. He knows the family of Herod. And you have Saul who is a Jew. What's going on here? Well, Antioch of all places, has a group of people called Christians who love each other in spite of their differences. As Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2, those walls of enmity are coming down in Christ. And, and, and they are shocking the world with this new way of doing family, and it was because of that love in the second century, and then later on in the fourth century, when these epidemics were just wiping people out. And as the pagans, and as the pagans were fleeing these cities, they, they were leaving family, they were leaving the, the, the ill, they were leaving uh, their loved ones, their spouses, their children, anyone that was sick, they were leaving them and tossing them on the side of the road and fleeing for their lives. But the, the family of God was surging into the center of these cities. Because of the hope of seeing Jesus one day and knowing that they would be like Him. Of knowing that they're in the family of God, that they're God's children, and that God's love has been lavished on them. And they surged back into the center of these cities and they took care of the sick and the ill. Many of the Christians dying themselves. And as those old pagan religions begin to die off, it is the Christian church, it is the family of God, it's the children of God that begin to grow in number. And, 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 and it, it's, the, it's the church, brothers and sisters, the family of God whose love is defined by the love that has been lavished on them by God the Father that is making a difference in the world and those old pagan religions are disappearing and the world is becoming Christianized. And that's why John said, you've heard it from the beginning. Christianity gave a truth that made loving people different from yourself possible. It's because God loves us. It's because Jesus laid His life down for us. And when I meditate on that truth and I contemplate it, and it, gets, it goes all the way down. Then I know that I can love, that Christians can love, that the church can love, that we can get over the differences, we can get over the weaknesses. But even a little bit before Antioch, Jesus Himself said to His disciples, who were kind of scuffing each other up in the gravel a little bit, <laughs> metaphorically speaking, about who was going to be the greatest and who was going to be at the right, and you know, all of that kind of stuff. You know that story. And Jesus says, look at me. And he, he, he strips down to just a tile around his waist and he begins to wash those disciples' feet. A completely unheard of act. Completely unseen, unguessed kind of action. And Jesus says, I've given you an example. And then he says, uh, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples, if, if, if you love one another. There are two spiritual families You're either in the family of God or you're the family of the devil. There are no other options. Everyone leaps. Everyone has landed. And knowing you are in that family as a member and how you got into it through the lavish love of God as a child that impacts the way you live your life. And the evidence that you are in that family that you have passed from death to life is that love has been ramped up in your life. It's the love that is rampant in your life. It's pervasive. It exudes from every word and from every thought and from every action. And we don't flee and, and 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 run. But we surge with that love into the very center of darkness. In such a way that this community around us of 1.3 million people have to take Christianity seriously because of love that's in the heart of every person on whom God's love has been lavished. Jeff's going to lead us in a song. If there are ways that we can minister to you tonight, there are shepherds down here at the front. They want you to come down and talk to them as we stand and sing. Jesus, I name, my love.